Hello everyone and welcome to Search Engine Nerds. I'm your host Brent Satoris and it's been a while and a lot has happened in the search marketing space. So I've invited two people to join us, Lauren Baker and Roger Monty, both members of the Search Engine Journal team and both world recognized experts when it comes to search marketing. And we're going to talk about what's been happening over the last year in search marketing, what's important, what you should be paying attention to and what you should be looking forward to. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys, uh, really excited to kind of dive back into this series. Um, as I introduced to everybody, it's been you know a good solid six months um, since we've really done any of these podcasts. Although we've been doing a ton of content and a ton of articles and and so forth on Search Engine Journal. It's been a while since we've done these podcasts. So I'm pretty excited to kind of come back and, and get these going. And I also am really excited to have both of you on this call because what, what, what I want to talk about is the fact that we've been, you know, kind of away for almost most of this year. I really want to talk about what's been happening in SEO in 2018. What's happening, you know, this year? What's, you know, what kind of new things have come out? What things have evolved? And also kind of like, what are we looking at going into next year and so forth? So essentially, like a catch-up. Let's catch up on the SEO industry uh, over the last six months. And there has been a ton of things happening this year. I mean, we've had, you know, mobile first indexing come out and really kind of that has been a huge discussion point. Um, that's led to people talking more about site speed, uh, specifically the mobile site speed and whether or not you need to have a responsive designs and, you know, the things that will really help you as far as, you know, mobile first SEO. There's been a huge push on quality of content. I mean, we've heard that for years. Years, but there's been a really big push on people repurposing content. We at SCJ have done that a little bit, and I've heard some other people out there having great success with doing that. So clearly, um, the quality of content and what content you choose to actually have on your site it has been pretty important this year. There's been HTTPS, there's been some schema updates, there's video SEO, and a lot of projections that you know 80% of the entire web is going to be video by next year. Or so what are you doing about it? There's voice search. There's the broad core algo update and the continuous updates that we get from Google. There is a lot of things happening, and I'm excited to have you guys here to talk about it. Uh, for all our listeners, we are going to be uh, making this a little bit longer podcast, and I'm going to shut up and let some other guys talk by first, uh, uh, you know, thanking you both for joining me on the podcast. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Roger. Great to be Roger. here. So, Roger, I want to start with you. I mean, I listed off a whole bunch of things. You're a, a, a continuous, uh, regular writer on the site uh, and very much involved with, you know, Search in General and SEO for many, many years. In fact, you were one of the first speakers I ever saw at a conference when I started going to conferences uh, in 2006. Um, love to hear your thoughts on what would be, what do you think is the biggest thing that we've seen change or the biggest kind of, uh, you know, announcement in 2018 from an SEO standpoint? Uh, definitely. Uh, Danny Sullivan has been bringing more transparency to what Google's doing, in particular the Broadcore uh, algo update. Um, for many years, we've had this thing called a phantom update, and really what it has always been was, you know, and they've always said it was, was Broadcore update, yet <clears throat> the industry has been focusing on quality issues and the same thing month after month, year over year with regard to phantom update 
then when Danny Sullivan stepped in and said, let's stop this, let's get off that train, and Danny Sullivan said, there's nothing to fix on your site. This, this is just, we're improving how we do, you know, relevance. And that really brought about a whole change in how these broad core updates are I looked at. I've been saying it for the past few years that I think this isn't really <clears throat> about, you know, there's other things that Google can do in the broad core update, including, you know, and better understanding user intent and better understanding what the text on a web page means and then matching those two things together. Yet for some reason, past couple of years, the SEO industry has been focused on finding spammy things, low quality things, thin pages, which are all a thing. But I think that's old school because I remember. Well, let's talk. You know, let's talk through that real early, quick. What exactly is the Broadcore update? Uh, what do you mean by like elaborate a little bit for listeners? Kind of like okay. what is the Broadcore update, and, and, and why has there been this focus from SEOs on what's the negative outcome of these updates? Okay, the the algorithm is a collection of a whole wide range of things. There's spam fighting elements. There are elements that are that relate directly to ranking. And that's called the ranking engine. And then there's other things that happen outside of it, like there's a modification engine that takes in things like um, that are related to user experience, your, where you're located, your, your uh, geography, where you are, and personalizing based on that. <clears throat> there are different parts of an algorithm. So when Google makes a general broad core algorithm update, that can be any number of things. And if they package that all together, you know, if you look at the change log at a typical like WordPress plugin, they'll say, oh, fix this bug, fix this bug, improve this, improve that. I think that's what a Broadcore uh, algo update is. In the so past, it's, the, it's the continuous it, updating uh -huh. it's the, of the core algorithm, right? It's the, it's the yeah, core algorithm. Yeah, I'm guessing, better. They, I'm guessing they call it broad core, you know, for the sense that it affects a broad volume of the search engine, right? Right. And, and, and Google doesn't do just spam fighting. I mean, the algo isn't just catching thin pages. Um, the algo is, I think, more focused on identifying good links, on identifying um, what users mean when they type something in, and identifying understanding what this what is this page about you know is this <clears throat> about um, uh, uh, helping users is this informational is this transactional all the different nuances and so when they google says oh we're doing a broad core update it it has always been these other things that google has been uh, focusing on and when you look at at the when you look at the search algorithms research, what you often see is them making improvements in information uh, retrieval and, and being able to better understand things. So it kind of makes sense that when Google does broad core update, the, uh, the focus isn't necessarily on finding spammy or low quality or, or, um, <clears throat> or thin pages. Well, so, so, so the, the, the this, one thing... Is, I think this is changing. This is changing how we do... SEO because it leads directly into content marketing. Well, I and think the this way you create 
this is really an interesting thing um, because I don't know about you, Lauren, but this is probably the first big update that feels kind of like nothing um, to me personally. It, you know, nothing's wrong with your site. You can't do anything to fix it. Uh, we've just improved the way we do searching, uh, you know, and deliver our search results. Uh, essentially, nothing to see here. Uh, continue on. So why, Lauren, why are we even talking about this update? You mean uh, other than mobile get-in? Because that was the other one that basically did nothing or yeah. was drawn out. And that's the thing to understand, too. I think from an SEO perspective, people get really caught up on an update that happened at this date or an update that happened at that date. <clears throat> and it's not necessarily that – it's not like it used to be back in the day where a Google update happened the first of the month and everything changed and it stayed that way. It's a living, breathing – evolving <clears throat> algo and sure the core update is a big deal but what's going to happen is roger touched a little bit upon this is there's an ongoing off-site component to seo that's added and added and added um on a daily basis and that's the way that google serves their display so the results may change a bit you may go from a two to a three or from a four to a seven or whatnot but the ability to actually get traffic from that is dependent upon how google chooses to display the results by display i mean is there a video above it is there a video inserted into the results are there now um images and icons in mobile that aren't on desktop how does that affect the user at the end of the day do they actually scroll is there a reason to scroll um, you know, uh, a couple months ago, Google rolled out the uh, their usage of the how-to FAQ and Q&A uh, snippets, right? Mm -hmm. So for specific verticals. And utilizing that schema on your site, now Google is basically scraping the data that's, that's within your schema and serving it in the results. So <clears throat> we've gotten to a point with SEO where... I think that Google Google is, is serving things to the end user beyond the page where they don't even have to click to your page. But then at the same time, SEO is going beyond the page itself, right? So a lot of this is just, <clears throat> it, it's a data play. But at the same time that Google's been serving things like uh, FAQ snippets where people can find information about your business without even clicking over to your site, They've also totally restructured their Google My Business program, which I've been focusing a lot on for brick and mortars and, and different companies as well, where Google is no longer just a, a vehicle for getting clicks to your site, which then you have to convert after the fact. It's now become also a, a lead generation tool. So at the same time that they're tweaking things that are part of the, the core algo, which is quote-unquote traditional SEO, I feel at the same time that they're I, I, they're introducing new ways to market, which aren't typical, typically thought of as being search engine optimization, if that makes sense. So, so, but I, I have a big problem with this idea that they say there's nothing you can do, right? I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense oh. to me. You know, I think that there might be nothing you can do day zero because you haven't figured out what, you know, 
you know, adjustments they've made or how they've improved. But if they've figured out a way to, you know, as Roger, you kind of mentioned in your article, there, there's something you can do. You can identify what they've done, which is maybe help solve, you know, you know, people's problems and answer a question better, in which case that will allow you to improve your your opportunity for for ranking. So there has to be something people can do whenever there's a change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think Google can't really explicitly tell you. But when you, I've been seeing this a lot in the uh, in the uh, uh, when people come to me and ask for a site audit, and you know, I look at the content, then I look at what Google's ranking. Um, it's sometimes it's pretty clear what <clears throat> what the focus has changed when you look at the the SERPs, the search results. So. When you're trying to diagnose, like, well, why am I no longer, you know, in the top five? Take a look at what Google's ranking now. Who replaced you? And there's a clue there, and, uh, and 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 if you look at, sometimes it's in the in the phrases that they use, or sometimes it's in the phrases that you use. Um, like if Google is focusing, say, like on medical stuff. And your site is focusing on, you know, maybe homeopathic that's kind of outside of traditional medical stuff, then maybe that slant is what's pushing you out of the new, new search results. So, yeah, I, I, go ahead, I just want to add there, I, I agree 100%. Um, you know, get a lot of questions from leads and clients saying, well, how come we're not competing there anymore? And when you look at what Google is serving and the vertical of site that they are, the the days of forced ranking are diminishing, right? The days of taking a site that's about X and trying to rank it for Y, unless you're a publisher, like it's still there from a publishing perspective, but trying to kind of force your way to the front of the line um, when everyone else like should be there and and you're kind of jumping up and down trying to get there it it's it, it's really diminishing and and that's part of the overall strategy is understanding not only what kind of site you are but what topics you write about and and the ability to have a site that is you know 95% about mattresses and then 5% about different sleep medications or whatever and thinking that you're going to rank for all these uh sleep medication terms is, is is pretty much over and i'm glad you brought that up robert because i think there was a lot of misinformation going on about the quote-unquote medic update um uh, yeah Google specifically serious. targeted alternative medicine sites because i saw a lot of movement outside of that realm as well and basically that movement yep. was around you can't be a site. You can't be. <laughs> Infowars should not rank for medical terminology, right? And then <clears throat> a lot of the sites that got dinged, like Doctor Axe, for example, had a ton of technical issues wrong with it, and was ranking for just about everything when it's basically a site that you know shovels supplements. So trying to figure out what's going on and then looking at different industries. Like I saw a lot of movement in the real estate industry as well, but there wasn't as much focus there because it, it probably isn't as sexy as say medical. It doesn't, it doesn't 
yeah, so, go ahead. So if, so if we're seeing, look, and I mean, I've seen a ton, and we've been doing, you know, a lot of audits where people are seeing a decline in traffic, you know, over years. And then you go and you look and you're like, yeah, you're losing your international traffic. You're losing some of your out-of-state traffic because you're not focused on that area. And this is the evolution of search. And But, you know, people really hate that answer, right? Like, hey, things are evolving and you're yeah. just, you know, this is a side effect. You know, when publishers start talking about my traffic's going down, yeah, everybody's traffic's going down. People are looking in different ways, you know, there there's different, you know, the, the, the contents answering the question better. People aren't having to do six searches to get an answer. They're doing one search and finding everything they need right off the bat. So if, if there's this continuous transition, which is clear, you know, but from an SEO standpoint, we're talking about being able to influence that visibility. Then what of these many different things, Lauren, would you say really stands out for you, you know, right now? I mean, between, you know, mobile, is it making your site, you know, a better mobile experience and A-B testing and getting your speeds up? Is it really focusing on that content, you know, and really making sure you have the quality? Is it making sure you have all the little minor points like HTTPS and schema? You know, is it getting into video? Where do you see like the biggest you know play right now happening you know in SEO? Uh, it, it's definitely on on the um, micro data side, and also as we were discussing, just targeting queries and intent that actually converts. Um, so from a micro data perspective, I, I, by micro data I mean schema, right? Um, whether it's delivered via schema or JSON or whatever, but the ability to add data to your site that better defines what those pages are about, how those pages should be classified, and making sure that that data reflects um, what your business actually offers. So, you know, whether that's ranging from information about your company, which you can put on your homepage and then shows up on the Google Knowledge panel when someone searches for you and gives you much more social proof and, and credibility. Um, and or like uh, if you have a site that um, maybe you have brick and mortars in various different areas or you uh, have a, a geo structure on your site set up for various different cities like a Yelp would and making sure that you have that schema set up to tell Google, hey, this specific page is for Paris, Texas versus Paris, France. Here are the zip codes involved. Here's this specific thing for this specific geo, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is now something that's very doable within um, an environment and Google within a site development environment and Google is really pushing for people to supply that information one so they can insert featured snippets into the results. Um, I saw the other day, by the way, that uh, Rotten Tomatoes has um, they have stars for their featured snippets, but then instead of saying like 4.5 out of five, it says the actual uh, tomato percentage, which you hardly ever see. I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> but um, taking, making sure that's, that schema data is available for rich snippets, because that's really what's going to set you aside, not only from a desktop perspective, but also in mobile, is when someone is scrolling through and they start to see that, um, you know, hey, you're, you have, your site has a menu, right? Or your site has this, or your site has that. It make it it's it's almost like giving the user a preview at the end of the day of everything that you have, and there's a higher chance that they'll click through. At the same time, again, Google better recognizes you. And then two on the conversion audience, right? Um, you know, I, going back to the the mattress example. So I did have a company contact me. Um, basically, they lost a lot of traffic uh, after 
the quote-unquote Google Medic update. And um, I said, well, you know, out of that traffic getting lost, did you see a decrease in sales? And they said, no. And I said, well, part of the reason is probably because people were finding that information, right? Because Google is ranking it and they're going to your site and they're bouncing off because one, um, you're not an accredited source for that info. And then two, no one wants to get health, uh, health oriented um, info from uh, a betting site, right? So at the end of the day, does that, if you don't have, um, a, a way to convert that traffic into a transactional flow, that traffic that you may have been getting previously may not even be that valuable for you in the first place. And I know that people want to get traffic numbers and increase traffic numbers and increase traffic numbers, but I'd much rather see if I'm an e-commerce uh, company, I'd, I'd much rather see transactional traffic numbers increase more so than uh, traffic that bounces. Yeah, and I would say that I experienced the same thing where people are really, you know, I've even started going to the point of saying, look, you know, analytics isn't your best friend. You know, I mean, it's, you know, people are making huge business decisions based on very generalized data and not looking deeper. You know, I mean, the same situation with this client we had that was declining in traffic, their revenue was up 20%. You know, and they're like paid their their time on site was up and their, you know, their their rankings were moving up, but they were just looking at the overall general number going down um, and so forth. The other thing that I think is really interesting about schema that you bring up, which is, uh, you know, something that's really hot right now is everybody wants to talk about voice search, right? Voice search is amazing. Voice search is the future. The problem with voice search is that when you get to the end of that statement and somebody says, okay, what do I what do I do? I'm super excited. You know, voice search is everything. What's next? And you go, well, you can't really do anything right now. You just uh, yeah. you need to know that it's there. And they're like, okay, well, thanks for getting me excited about that. But the one thing that you can do is schema. Schema does help you right now, and it's one of the few things that you can do. But uh, schema is not necessarily the easiest thing for people to implement properly. Uh, you know, people are running. I'm seeing a lot of sites who who come back and say, "Oh yeah, we we have schema," and then you look at it and they have a ton of errors, and it's you know half the data is not included, and and it's really not done as as well as it should be. So uh, if anybody's listening, I mean, schema is definitely one of the top you know things in my mind as well but i would just really recommend making sure that you think think it through have a strategy include the the as much detail as you can but make sure it's implemented properly um you know one of the other things hey go ahead hey brent uh what do you think about the speakable schema uh, markup it's listed as pending but i think uh, didn't Google recently uh, add that in as like something that you can use? Uh, was it for news search or something like that, or recipes or something like that? I forget what um, it was specifically for, it but it, like... it's definitely a precursor, and and that's one of the things you also always want to pay attention to. Is any of the precursors typically can have an, you know a big impact? The only thing I would warn is with Google. You know, all the precursor stuff doesn't necessarily mean it catches on, right? Google Glass, you look yeah. at Google Plus, you look at a lot of different things that were, you know, oh, shoot, you know, Google Plus is going to lead us to this authorship, you know, authority that, you know, we all went down a rabbit <laughs> hole on that. Um, and, and then it was like, oh, we're moving on to AMP. Forget Google Plus. <laughs> 
So I, I do think that, that, that that's interesting that it's going in that route and that they're putting that out there. I do think voice search, I think everyone would agree the voice search elements are the future. It's just a matter of you, there's this huge um, mound that has to be crossed. Uh, I, I was with my dad who's disabled and we were trying to set up Alexa so that he could turn the TV on and off. You know, just simply be able to turn the TV on and off and raise the volume. And there were so many language barriers. You couldn't necessarily say to Alexa, you know, increase the volume because then she's raising the volume for herself, not the TV. Right. And so you're like, uh, you know, Alexa, increase the volume or decrease. So you have to start getting into these very specific languages in order to have an environment where it actually would work. So I do think it's fun to watch the precursor stuff. Um, I do want to kind of shift to another topic, um, if you don't mind. And, and it's one that I personally feel like is probably the most important uh, thing for SEO this year, in, in my opinion. And I know that it's a bit of a cliche to say, but I think that content and really understanding the storytelling and the ability to kind of uh, give people the information they need in the way they need it has been super effective. So um, I, I happen to be, you know, in contact with a lot of really large publishers who will share information with me on a regular basis. And I, I'm not going to say who or anything like that, but these are publishers with, you know, 30 to 50 million views a month um, on a regular basis. So these are large publishers and including Search Engine Journal, which we're all involved with as well. Over the last two years, I've seen like a really good push, especially this last year, in limiting content that's not performing for your site, uh, removing content that's not performing for your site, really focusing on merging content to have a single real source of an answer on a site instead of having 50 part answers, right? So I have seen this huge shift in content, and every time that we go on a project and start looking at content, improving content, and really being focused on how the content's answering the questions that people have, we see a huge spike in SEO, a huge spike in traffic, a huge spike in conversions. So if I could look back, I would say content and really focusing on a content strategy has been one of the biggest things I've seen this year. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, Roger, do you want to start? Oh, sure. Um, uh, I think that uh, definitely focusing on content, but uh, taking a look at Instead of thinking in terms of keyword phrases, I like to think of in terms of like what problems is solving, and and, and perhaps more importantly, looking at the SERPs and seeing you know what what problem is Google trying to solve for users? What is what's the most popular? And then creating content that <clears throat> solves that in a better way than all your competition. And so I think one of the most overlooked opportunities is images. And I recently wrote an article about optimizing for images because I keep seeing this over and over again. And I keep like doing really well with optimizing images and having those rank in position zero and, and seeing my content go up and rank well <clears throat> without even doing any link building to, to the pages that I create. And so when I look at do site audits, I look at the images and <clears throat> I see like, you know the the image file names don't have um, don't aren't meaningful. You know they're like cryptic letters and words or whatever, or they have words in them that really have nothing to do with the topic. So <clears throat> I think one of those opportunities is using images in a more meaningful manner 
in order to integrate that into the text content because images are content too. So why not optimize that? Here's the thing with that, Roger. All text in that. I I would say for the last two years, maybe longer, we've pretty much – you hear this come up from time to time, right? It's like make sure you're naming your images something useful. Make sure you're adding an alt text because that's what becomes the, the, the anchor text and so forth. Make sure you have these elements for the image to benefit you. And for whatever reason, it just never seems to really catch on. Is that, do you feel like that's just something people are being lazy with? Or do you feel like maybe it doesn't have the same impact? What's your thoughts on that? I I think people tend to think of images in terms of just breaking up the text, making making the web page look nicer. And uh, images can serve so much more than than that. But there's also a misuse of images which um, is more important now with mobile, um, which is like say you, what I keep what I see a lot is people make these images of like I don't know some something related to their niche like a picture of a dog or or a, or a sofa or whatever, and then they put all this letters text stuff in there, and and then they make it big like you know twelve hundred or two thousand <laughs> pixels. And then they shrink it down, and the letters, in order to make the letters look nice, which superimpose on an image, you really have to crank up the um, the resolution by like 400, 500, 600 percent than if you had just used the image without the letters superimposed on it. So, you know, but I, I was looking at the stats for images in WordPress, and, and looking at it like, say, uh, year over year, images in 2018 are 4.5% heavier, bigger than 2017. But then when you shrink that that lens down to the past three months, images from are like just 0.5%, just half of a percentage point. So it seems like from July and f- moving forward, uh, web publishers have gotten a message and are starting to shrink the size of their yeah. images. The page speed so elements that's part probably of that helped a lot with that. Thing. Yeah, the speed up things probably helped yeah. a lot. One thing I will mention is <clears throat> I sat down last uh, week with uh, Gary Yesh, who was uh, in South Florida doing a, a small event out here. And uh, during that event, he made a comment that I thought was interesting, specifically to images. He said, you need to make sure that you're using the proper markup and naming of images. But further, he said it's very important that you don't limit our ability to see images because a lot of people are doing like critical rendering path or lazy loading and they're really trying to you know make that speed of the site super fast and so they said um, one of the things to pay attention to is to use the no script tag to make sure that you show the images to Google um, and, and so that you can you can limit it, but make sure you're not limiting it from Google, um, because they're they're noticing that when they yeah. check the page, if they don't see, they don't scroll. So if you're lazy loading or if you're critically rendering images after the scroll, Google will not see those images. So make sure that you're using the no script as an option to kind of solve that. Um, and I wanted to kind of pass on to Lauren before we move on to another topic. What's your thoughts on content today, Lauren? 2018 content and SEO. Yeah, well, again, I think it's uh, I think it's it's going to sound very cliche, but quality over quantity. But how do you define quality, right? So, 
I mean, first of all, like when content became an SEO, a big SEO thing, and as as blogging on sites became more popular, people started publishing one blog post a day. And a lot of the jobs that I've been working on recently are basically content consolidation and cleanup practices where we're taking, instead of those posts that used to compete against each other, uh, which is basically the result of posting that much, then um, consolidating them in the one epic post where you just basically 301 everything into that one and make sure that there's info from all of those posts and stuff like that really works. And I think the other the other part is... Uh, you know, remembering what your your clients or customers or prospects are really looking for. So mapping out your content from a customer journey perspective, right? Uh, tofu to bofu, <laughs> top of funnel to bottom of funnel. And not just going like, I, I also think that bottom of funnel can be very overlooked. Uh, one of the most successful content um, campaigns I've been working on recently is basically um, – posts that compare our client to their competitors and we saw that there were a lot of third parties doing this and ranking in google for these terms and they're very high volume terms but it's a client versus competitor client versus you know second competitor like these are all different posts and basically this is as bottom of the funnel you can get the traffic that's hitting uh those posts has the lowest percentage of new visitors on the site why because people have visited the site previously um they want to purchase the item and now they're making the final decision comparing one to the next so they're going to google they're searching for that term and then they're landing on uh our page where the information that's given is factual. It's updated on a monthly basis in case any of the attributes of uh, those companies change. But, of course, there's a bias because it's hosted on the site of the product that we want people to buy. So there's also things like you know retargeting directly to that customer intent and things like that. And I think on that side, too, like content is not just an SEO play, right? Um by making sure that the content that you're putting together is integrated into email campaigns, social campaigns, um, PR campaigns, uh, whatever it may be, you're attracting similar traffic to it as well, right? So that comparison content that we put together for SEO query purposes by shooting that out to a segmented email list of people that we know may be currently purchasing, um, we can then get that targeted traffic over to the site. And I think at the end of the day, there's no real proof that says this, but at the end of the day, uh, Google Chrome or Google devices picking up targeted traffic that actually converts into an action and or to a purchase is going to help you from an SEO perspective because Google is seeing that that's the kind of site that people are looking for and actually taking action on. And one thing I'd like to add, going back to the Google Medic thing, from a uh, one thing I did notice through those updates, Roger, is that the clients that I worked with that had calls to action in their content uh, that were mm-hmm. things like email sign up or uh, you know do this or do that and had a, a little bit of a lower bounce rate because of those CTAs and different options ended up surviving those um, those recent updates. Whereas the ones that were kind of out there and were like, hey, here's this article, now purchase from us, kind of got hit a little bit. I haven't been able to necessarily Lauren, put together an A-B split, but that's the one thing that I noticed. Uh, Lauren, that's amazing you mentioned that. 
because I've been talking to people uh, across different niches, including really <laughs> competitive niches, um, and uh, that call to action thing has been uh, an interesting uh, part of successful pages. I'm saying where you know you land on the page and there's the the email contact form you know right there front and center. And then you scroll down, and there it is again at the bottom of the page. That kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah that's really interesting. Yeah, I would yeah, say how you connect that. Just the one thing you want to watch out for with the call to action stuff is just you know whatever you're doing with your call to actions, make it fit into the design on your page. Do not do uh, entire screen interstitials uh, for for call to actions. People do it all the time. And Google, you know, I asked Gary this exact question last week. I said again, you know, our, and he said clear as day: if you use a full screen interstitial, you are going to be ranked lower. It's going yeah. to hurt your SEO. So uh, the other thing I just wanted to throw in a comment is, you know, as as we all know the value of content, but I think Lauren, you made a really good point there that was like, what is quality? And 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 I will say that at all levels, and I'm sure you, both of you guys deal with all levels of companies from small to fortune. The the resounding kind of effect that you get from people is, well, you know, just write something. Right. Just throw out some content. Just put it out. It, you know, does it really need to be an expert? Like, can't you just write this? And it's like, I, I, you know, a law firm, like, can't you just write about this? I'm like, I'm not a lawyer. Like, why in the world would you want me to write a piece of content about law when you're a lawyer and I'm not? Oh, because I don't have time for it. But the truth of the matter is we have to stop checking boxes. SEO and this checkbox mentality is was gone in 2016 and it's definitely gone in 2018 and and what i'm seeing happening and, and people don't realize it is it's not a question of whether or not you're going to perform better or not in marketing by getting rid of the checklist mentality it's whether or not you're going to be here or not like it just hey, Brent, simply put don't, you're, you know, I, don't, I don't want to confuse the matter but what if it's like the checklist mentality you know the h1 and all that set that aside and now we're checking different boxes like, like uh, authority, expertise. Absolutely. When I say check checklist, I guess I should clarify that and say when I talk about checklist mentality, I mean what's the bare minimum I can check off from this list that some SEO put out that said you need 10 links, you need three pieces of content, you need two <laughs> social shares. And people are like, <laughs> check, got that content, you know. And then they're like – Link out to a dot Yeah. <laughs> So that's what I mean by checklist mentality is not putting any thought into it, just downloading somebody's top 15 steps and following it and hoping it works for you, you know. Uh, so I do want to transition to one last topic, um, and I want both of your thoughts on it, and then I think we're going to have to kind of wrap up. I mean, I know we could talk forever on, on these topics, but one of the – I still come back to this concept that me, myself, I'm, I'm spending a lot more time watching videos. Um, when people are, when I'm looking to figure out how to do something, I'm actually going to the videos first. Uh, and I'm hearing a ton of people talk about this, all the statistics, um, a lot of information out there pointing to video. Um, I still have a hard time seeing it kind of become a realization because what people don't realize is when we talk about quality content and you take it to a video standard, Man, do you just expand that 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 scope a ton? Like now you now it's not only that you have to you know have a good you know bit of material in your video, but you have to film it in the right 
lighting and you have to have a good personality and you have to have the right tone of voice and the right cadence and the right length or you're, you know, quickly kind of not having the success that you want. So two part question. One, you know, how important is video content for people uh, going forward, you know, right now and going forward? And two, what would you say are some important steps to make sure that when you're getting into video, you're doing it right? Uh, we'll start with uh, Lauren this time. Yeah, um, so video may not be the traffic driver, right? Because most of this video we're talking about is going to be hosted on YouTube or another uh, video hosting channel, but it could be a conversion mechanism. So I would say that one, don't go with a robot voice. Like you see a lot of that popping up now, um, kind of like the Mick video type services where they take images from your video and then match it up with like a, a just a robot that's basically reading the text off of your blog. I think YouTube's going to get much better at pinpointing which of those videos are just they're essentially spam and um, kicking them out of the results. So uh, go with go with something. Your video is your is, it's your chance for a first impression, and it's your chance to add personality to your business and or content. So I would look at uh, some other businesses that have done good from a personality uh, perspective. Um, you know, in SEO, there's there, it's really hard to name anyone, and I'm going to name somebody, and that person's going to be Neil Patel. Um, <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. Neil, like or love Neil, it, Neil kills yeah. it. He kills it with his videos, absolutely. Um, and that's what gets people engaged. It's like seeing someone standing there um, with a quick edit every four seconds and talking and, and the and, right words I, being placed on the screen I, and everything else. And you don't see anyone else doing it right and now. And I, I will tell you, I, I mean, this is funny because people, I'm always in conversations and me and Neil Patel, like we started, like I started my, my career in this industry with Neil Patel, essentially within the first couple months, you know, me and him became like best friends and we would travel together and stay in the same hotel. So I know Neil quite well. Right. And I, and I, I could tell stories for, for days, you know, we, had a lot of fun he was the first person to ever see me get really drunk in new york city and i don't ever hardly ever get drunk so we, we've had some funs but but i will say almost always in conversations with different clients or with people in the industry whenever his name comes up people are like oh yeah man i see him all the time on youtube man he's 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 everywhere he's great you know their their opinion of his videos is so high that i definitely think neil has has figured that out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that right now we're living in a time where it does not take a very, it does not take long to become an influencer in your industry. Um, in SEO, I, I've seen where uh, some folks that have been around forever or some folks that are brand new that never really did personal branding had invested like a year into their personal branding and now suddenly they're speaking everywhere and they're considered experts. So yep. if, if you take that same process right and you apply it to hey maybe you're a creating company maybe you're a uh, uh, a recruiter or something like that like how do you make a difference in video that's how you take you you look at some other folks maybe not just in search because we live in our little you know search barrel but also looking in the social and some other fields like that and see what people are doing in video and do it for your own industry well the, um, the i don't know anyone that's met brian the, dean in real life the, so, the consulting.com guy is all job. over video right now too. Like, and he's doing a really oh good God. job. 
Yeah. I, it's a little bit annoying, but at the same time, I keep watching them because I'm like, you know what? It, it's it's good. It, it works, right? Like he's really like the message in all his video is you don't need to do what everybody else is doing. Right. So he does all this stuff with like they say you shouldn't have a Harley in your office, but I do because I want to do something different. Right. So he's constantly challenging like the quid, you know, the status quo. Um, so I, yeah. I think that's impressive. Uh, Roger, what are your thoughts on video in, in, in 2018 and going forward from an SEO and a business standpoint? <laughs> I think that the days of uh, thinking of web content being just textual are over uh, long over. Um, there's podcasts, there's now the voice search coming up soon, uh, next year or two, and then video is like very mature. Um, an interesting use of video I've seen uh, by companies, um, I'll take like, I'm, I'm an angler, I like to fish, and um, and so I watch fishing videos, and there's some guys out there that are really good at it. And this one company that makes uh, fishing reels, they actually sponsored one of the most popular um, fishing uh, video bloggers. And <laughs> they got the guy using the product and catching big fish with it. And you go, hmm, I guess that, that brand of reel isn't, you know, it's cheap, but it's good, you know. And, and uh, I think that was like a really excellent use of video and just sponsoring the guy you don't have to necessarily make your own video sometimes you can just sponsor somebody and have them use your product in a meaningful way and uh and just show people um one of the biggest ways <laughs> there was a, a lure company came out uh years ago and i went to their site it's like oh, what's this what's the deal with this lure it's supposed to catch trout and they had a video of a guy standing behind a bush and, and he's just casting this lure out, and he's catching fish after fish after fish. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to buy that. <laughs> For you sure. Know? And it just show your product doing what it does best. And, and, and really, that's just a conversion monster right there. And, and, and this company, I'm not going to name them, but uh, uh, but they were – People were – I hang out at fishing forums, and, and people were skeptical about them because they're all over Amazon. Well, well why don't you name but them so that we can so, – so people can find okay. it and check it out. You know, they, They've done a good job. They deserve to be named. Okay. Sure. All right. The name of the company is called Cast King, spelled K-A-S-T-K-I-N-G. And the video blogger is a guy named Elias V. He was originally, I think, uh, in uh, – uh, in New York and used to fish up in that area along the coast through New Jersey and New York. But I think now he's in uh, Florida, and so he's doing videos there. And this guy goes out on his Hobie kayak, and he's catching some monster fish. Nice. Monster fish, and he's using this casking stuff, which ever, before the videos came out, everybody thought casking was just some kind of knockoff made-in-China stuff. Now <laughs> casking has more uh, respect. Yeah, for sure. And you're seeing this, I mean, from my perspective where I see this, um, I, a really, really good friend of mine uh, founded and created a company called BoxyCharm, which is one of the top subscription boxes for makeup. And, you know, the, guy, uh, the guy's name's Joe, and he, he goes, Yosef, he goes way back in SEO. I mean, he was back in PubCon days, early days and stuff like that. But when he built it, he did everything based on video, right? The, the, the makeup industry really does a lot with video as far as showing people put the makeup 
up on, right? It's just it doesn't. Huge. It's huge, right? So I mean, you see like uh, Jackie Aina. Uh, I can never say her last name properly, but there's just a ton of these celebrities that have become celebrities purely off of video alone, and it, it's marketing products, right? It's like and, and and the companies love this because and one of the things that you know was said to me, you know, through different you know people doing video is that you know I can go and build links, I can go and do SEO, I can go do a lot of this stuff, or I can go you know, pay a celebrity a decent amount to do a sponsored video. And when I pay a celebrity, I'm getting 20, 30,000 purchases. Like, I, you know, it's like immediate gratification. It works and, and you can kind of roll through the different celebrities or the different power channels. And, and it's not about being secretive and, you know, sponsoring something and saying, don't tell anybody and doing all the stuff that, you know, the SEO mentality we would have done back in the day. It's really about being honest and saying, this is a sponsored thing, you know, uh, that this was sent to me and I'm checking it out and you know what, it works really well. So I'm a huge fan of video right now, um, mostly because I'm the worst consumer of information and video has captivated my consumption. I don't even watch television anymore. I just, you know, YouTube does such a great job at suggesting videos for me. Um, over time, I can sit down and watch 15, 20 minutes of entertainment there. So I would definitely recommend people sit down and think about how they can do video, take the time to do it well. But I think that there's a huge opportunity there. And I think everybody should really be looking at that as an opportunity. And I think, Lawrence, you, you made a great comment earlier that... SEO is just not about content anymore. It's about everything. And like, we really have to, to start, you know, transitioning into seeing all content as all content. So, well, um, I think you hit the nail on the head too, um, with influencer, you know, marketing videos that you're discussing. So when you, when you post a video on YouTube or you share it on Facebook or whatever, it's going to help your overall brand. So you're investing in a video on YouTube or your site that can help with video as quote unquote video SEO. But if you distribute it on Facebook, then you can target people that watch that video by the minutes that they watched it uh, and give them an ad, a call to action to follow them around the web. So my point is, is that when you're investing in one thing, like whether it be content for SEO purposes or video content for SEO purposes, you can use it for a lot of other purposes. So just don't look at SEO as being your goal when you're making that content investment. Look at much you can squeeze across the board. Absolutely. I love it. So uh, I think we're out of time. Um, hey, guys, I absolutely appreciate you joining uh, the podcast. I'm really looking forward to kind of keeping this podcast going again and getting everything spun back up. And I'm really uh, honored to have you guys on as the first uh, podcast back. Thanks for all the information. Uh, and uh, for everybody that's listening, uh, both these guys are on Search Engine Journal all the time and across the web. So uh, real quick, Lauren, uh, Roger, why don't you just tell me where, where can people people find you know you if they want to reach out to you or where can they find where you're writing and participating uh roger go ahead first yep i'm uh, <clears throat> writing articles on uh every other day or so on search and journals uh you can check my author profile at search and journal just click on my name and look at my author profile bookmark it and uh, i also occasionally blog on martinibuster.com the the name martinibuster comes from my uh, from the days at Webmaster World when I had a, <laughs> well, I'm still there. <laughs> and that's a nickname I chose, uh, my username there at Webmaster World. So that became my brand. Perfect. Lauren? Yeah, just really search for my name, uh, L-O-R-E-N. 
Baker, and you'll find me on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc., etc. I don't blog as much as I used to, but I do host most of our uh, SEJ Think Tank webinars. So go to our SEJ, our Search Engine Journal webinar page, and you can uh, find me there as well. So thanks. Awesome. And uh, myself, I also do some of the webinars there. I also do a lot of the podcasts here with Search Engine Nerds. I contribute occasionally to Search Engine Journal. I'm not the greatest writer, so it takes me a little bit to get there. And I also have a ink column. So if you search for me, you should be able to find my writing out there as well. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you.